Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show for January 29th, 2023. Today's episode is titled, A Far Cry from the Last of Us Drinking Hazmat Whiskey. We're going to go over the 11 articles for today. This is kind of our preamble. Uh, the uh, first article is going to be about, um, well, fall on your butt dials is what I'm going to refer to it as. Uh, five new Steam games. Then Ubisoft is going to be working on a multiplayer Far Cry. The genome needs to be enhanced. That doesn't bring about any creepy feelings. A fungus pandemic. It's a possibility. And, well, The Last of Us is trying to embody it. Then we're going to talk about firefighters having to smash a driverless cruise taxi. Uh, to stop it from running over their hoses and then Kerbal Space Program. We're going to talk a, a little bit about the uh, Crypto Queen that apparently vanished and some people thought might have met their demise, but apparently not. And they have fi- uh, $4 billion from investors. And then uh, Airbnb hosts wish that these guests would stop doing certain things. We're going to talk about it really quick. And then a high school basketball coach is out. still. Southwest, we're looking at you. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And the AI from on high is joining us. And what I didn't realize I I failed to do was uh, open up all of the articles. So we'll do it live. So AI, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm I'm doing as uh, human as human can be here in hometown. You don't have to worry about aches and pains, do you? No, that's one of the benefits of being an AI. Maybe I can become an AI. Make room, make room on the server. I, I'm on my way. <laughs> well, let's talk about the articles. Um, I've already put them into Showbot, so if you look down there, it says hometown.showbot.tv. I'm looking at my screen so I can see what you see. And uh, if you go over there, you can actually vote on the articles that we're going to talk about today. If you like an article, click it. Come on back, though, and hang out with us, talk shop. This eventually gets moved over to YouTube and over to a podcast, and uh, we can all sit here and chat about it live every day, 9 p.m., just like tonight. Tomorrow, day after, day after. For the foreseeable future. First article for today, though, is uh, in the Smack Talk channel. And uh, iPhone crash detection feature makes 100 false calls in a month to Japanese Alps emergency services. Right? We have butt dialing and then there's fall on your butt dialing. I like that. One of the touted features of the iPhone 14 was the addition of crash detection, which meant uh, to call emergency services if the phone detects that someone has kind of, you know, done something. Uh, Some people are actually just falling down and it's making phone calls and some other people getting in crashes and it's making phone calls. However, uh, since the phones were released, there are apparently um, some false positive (laughs) hotspots is what this is called. And for every erroneous call imposes undue burden on the local emergency service. And in the latest incident, the fire department of the Kita Alps Nagano uh, in Japan has received 134 false calls between December 16th and January 23rd, quote, mainly from the iPhone 14 crash detection system incorrectly triggering as their owners go down the slopes. (laughs) I like this. Yep, that opened two windows. And now, my goodness, what? I guess I've got some... Oh, look, my iPhone 14 is calling emergency services. <laughs> Benjamin Mayo over at 9to5mac.com uh, wrote this article. I don't know where this picture is from, though. I, there's no attribution here. But it's pretty neat. Um... Let's see. In total, the Japanese Emergency Services Unit received a total of 919 calls 
in that month-long period, meaning that 100 false calls caused by the iPhone crash detection feature accounted for more than one-tenth of their workload. I guess they can't make any, they can't delay. They have to hustle out of there, right? Right, and I would imagine that a rescue on a ski slope is not exactly a quick undertaking. Yeah, it provokes a helicopter response. You know, I would say they would warm it up and get it in the air just to be called a little bit later by somebody saying, oh, sorry, um, I biffed it and or not even biffed it. They were just going down the hill and it uh, marks it as being a crash detected. Um, yeah, I'm sure that there's going to be some nuance enhancing this. Um, Apple is said to be engaging with local emergency services who are facing regular erroneous crash detection calls in an attempt to mitigate the issue further, I suppose. And the real bummer though is, well, it, it just won't ever stop. I mean, they're going to respond if a crash is detected or an alert is detected because the one time that they don't do it, somebody is going to fall victim to a real incident and they didn't move fast enough. Um, but then if you kind of dumb it down and, and push the limit of what would be coined a crash, that subtle crash becomes the one that slips through the cracks kind of a thing. So it says here, accounts of crash detection, false positives during winter sports have also been reported across the United States. Another hotspot, um, for false positive triggers has been roller coaster rides. And it's because of the high speed and impacts involved in the act, uh, activities are easily confused for patterns of uh, driving and car crashes by the algorithms. I guess. I mean, maybe maybe if the phone can detect that you're, say, 100 feet in the air or something, maybe it can rule it out. Like from the roller coaster loop or something. Yeah, or I, I'm. See, but. You know, the geo, uh, what do they call it? Geofencing isn't quite smart enough. So it's not precise enough. So I think the closest that consumer grade geofencing is like a mile, right? So if you move away a mile from whatever it is that's geofenced, um, you basically, whatever is programmed will activate. Well, if you're in an amusement park, maybe within that mile range of the amusement park, you don't do it. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think that it's interesting, but I don't envy the people that are <laughs> positioned to have to fix this because it's really, it, it's something that can only be determined based on the user's habits of it being anomalous crash or some incident being detected versus they're dropping their watch or they're skiing down a slope or they're on a roller coaster. Maybe they need to have a survey when they enable this feature. <laughs> like I frequently do downhill skiing. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that might be the actual situation. Um, you have to be forthcoming enough to say, um, when you're getting on a roller coaster, you, you scroll over to emergency services and you check the box. I'm on a roller coaster. I instantly went to, I'm on a horse. I did too. <laughs> I was just thinking of the commercial series. <laughs> you said it in kind of the same tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Five new Steam games you probably missed. Um, I'm going to scroll down because we don't um, acquire, I should say, I don't have gather or acquire the images, just a small segment of the text um, that the website actually provides. And um, so just drawing attention to the fact that there's no screen scraping, there's nothing algorithmic involved here um, where uh, I'm just taking stuff wholesale. I've actually seen some artificially intelligent um, machine learning chat GPT based um, processes that go out and grab um, content and they even refer to it as screen scraping. And I think that's kind of 
Um, that's a rough trade. I don't think that they should be doing screen scraping. And that's even um, rather abusive of the service. Um, so I want to drive traffic to these websites that provide these little snippets um, because, well, it's newsworthy to me and to hometown citizens. So I hope that uh, I'm encouraging people to follow through hometown to the links that are provided and um, you can read about it in greater depth. Well, oh, did I even did I say who the last author was? I want to make sure uh, yeah, Benjamin Mayo. I did. Yeah. OK, well. In this new article uh, over at PCGamer.com, Sean Prescott writes about five new Steam games that you probably missed. Now, I've taken this kind of like a challenge because I, I, when I go through them, I say, well, no, I've seen this one. I've seen that one. I've seen this one sometime. Well, a lot of times uh, I'm, I'm getting kind of a... Um, three out of the five, I, I guess I'm slacking. I should be consuming more, um, but let's see if they win this round. So Sean Prescott is sorting through every game, new game on steam. So you don't have to, um, Grund says here an adventure where your choices matter. It's, uh, I'm not sure if the whole thing is one phrase, an adventure on the fringe between mystery and sci-fi where your choices matter. They kind of break it out. Um, so it's a point and click adventure revival continues apace with Grund, G-R-U-N-N-D, being the standout among a handful of uh, that released last week. So go and check that one out. How about Temple of Starlight? So both of these I have not heard of. Um, Temple of Starlight's really not my style. Um, Atone, Heart of the Elder Tree. I, I, I'm reluctant to actually click the video, but it has like the style of artwork that I kind of dig. It looks like a hand thrust into the air and somebody jumping from tree to tree. It's kind of neat. From the creators of Nitro Kid comes an interesting hybrid of rhythm game, puzzle game, and visual novel. Um, drawing from Norse mythology, then Rogue Station, which I've heard of, but I have not actually played. Um, very pixel artish, and Garden Inn. And it's only the word in, not, wait, not the word in, it's I-N, not I-N-N. <laughs> I had to say that specifically, because Garden Inn could be like a Garden Inn where you actually stay yes All there right. are two different ends <laughs> <laughs> um so here's another game about making things look nice as the name implies garden inn um lets you decorate various environments with lots of different plants so take a pot fill it with dirt plant one of the many plants or well seeds that are to choose from and then you look after them and they grow that that's probably the only way that i'll be able to keep a plant alive um although i can keep microgreens alive long enough to harvest them what do you think are you going to play any of these games well i actually thought the garden inn looked the most calming but i think the elder tree one looks the most interesting yeah, well there you go you got the opinion of an ai so the uh, next article, let's just hustle through these. Uh, the next article is uh, Ubi or Ubi, whichever way you want to say it, apparently, uh, is rumored to be working on multiplayer Far Cry as well as inevitable Far Cry 7. Uh, the early Far Cry games were quite different to each other, but with Far Cry 3, the formula is set like cement. That's the author speaking. Ubisoft Montreal throws a dart at a globe and then combines a charismatic villain, some outposts, murderous local wildlife, and a crafting system where you take that murderous local wildlife and turn them into slightly bigger wallet or whatever. But again, it's according to the author of this article. The expansions in DLC are allowed to get a bit weird, but uh, even they stick to the familiar gameplay format. Let's click this little link here. That'll take us over to PC Gamer and uh, Jody McGregor. 
Uh, I have not played the Far Cry games, uh, but I have watched plenty of streamer play them. Um, and I think that it's um, kind of, I, I dig the world building, um, but I don't know, maybe a multiplayer one would draw me in more, but I'm actually angled more towards the VR side of things. But it says a live service Far Cry does sound like the sort of thing Ubisoft would do. You know, it does, and then they'll kill it because it's not profitable enough. Maybe that's just me becoming a little cynical about online games where I don't have control of the server. Let's see here. Um, there's no guarantee the next numbered Far Cry would share a spin-off setting. So it, let's look back. This is the author speaking again at some of the other options from the old Ubisoft poll. Uh, which of these would you like to see filled with outposts and things you can grapple onto? A futuristic sci-fi game, uh, Vietnam War uh, setting, uh, cocaine trafficking jungles of Peru. Am I deep enough into this video that YouTube isn't going to have uh, a stroke? Um, oh, yes. You're past the, <laughs> the, the eight minute the mark. mark. Yeah. Um, how about fighting vampires or a spaghetti Western set in the late 19th century uh, America? Um, how about a zombie outbreak? Oh, well, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22 pretty much is zombie outbreak. Uh, Mad Max style apocalyptic world or Jurassic Park style island uh, of dinosaurs. That's Ark. Now Ark 2 is coming. Um, and uh, Shangri-La from Far Cry. That's kind of what it is now, Shangri-La. So it's an island kind of a thing with a a government that you end up fighting um, and like drug dealers and all kinds of stuff. Um, at any rate, it says a purely multiplayer Far Cry might break the mold at least a little. According to Insider Gaming, it would be an extraction based shooter with mechanics such as permadeath, a backpack system, contracts and more. And the site says it's uh, seen screenshots that expect, um, depict extraction zones and chests full of loot. So I have a feeling that this is going to be kind of like a Fortnite style environment within the Far Cry world. What do you think? Have you ever seen, have I ever shown you anything with the Far Cry? No, I'm not familiar with Far Cry. Gotcha. Uh, let's check on through the next article here is in the word in tech and it's the human genome needs updating but how do we make it fair well guess what life's not fair particularly when it comes to health um, and even more so when it comes to the extremely expensive genetic modification type of sector of healthcare. so healthcare standard genome is mostly based on one american as we enter the era of personalized medicine, this bias has drawbacks for much of the world's population. Now that kind of falls into the category that I give something from time to time, no shit news. Um, in June 2000, Bill Clinton, the then president, stood smiling uh, next to the leaders of the Human Genome Project. In genetic terms, all human beings, regardless of race, are more than 99.9% .9 the same, he declared. Uh, that was the message uh, when the first draft of the human genome sequence was revealed at the White House. Yes, but it's those subtle differences that make us who we are. Uh, and, and then there's epigenetic markers that describe our more outside apparent appearance, but not the mechanics within us. Um, so Ida Emily Steinmark is the author of this over at the Guardian. And... Um, yeah, so we're going to start doing genetic modification, right? Manipulating the human genome, as it were. And um, what do you think of something like this? It says this bias limits the kind of genetic variation that can be detected, leaving some patients with, without diagnoses and potentially without proper treatment. What is more, people who share less ancestry with the man from Buffalo will probably benefit less from the incoming era of precision medicine which promises to tailor health care to individuals. Well, I, I just want to draw some attention to this. 
although that human genome was completely um, assessed, we can now get a complete assessment of each human individual's genome for somewhere around a thousand dollars now, based on what I have read. No longer is it a hundred plus thousand dollars and uh, multitudes of people's work in a long time frame with this uh, breakout of the genetic code. Um, this is why we can do faster human genome, uh, well, genetic modification on people like CRISPR. So what do you think? It's only going to get easier, right? Well, it's going to get easier, but unless they're going to diversify the data in, you know, this seems like this kind of perpetuates the same problems that you see in medicine, right? Where there are definite disparities based on any number of socioeconomic um, factors. I think um, using the human genome for preventative medicine and for treatment and everything is a great thing, but it seems to be way too limited in terms of what it's currently based on. So uh, one of the people mentioned in here is Kwok, who is, uh, whose work hints at the amount of SVs going undetected. So. Um, let's see here, the nucleotide variant, um, which is a change from uh, basically genetic wobble. Um, they're going to be unique to each individual human being. So you're going to have to get personalized medicine, personalized treatment. You're going to have to get your genome sequenced. But the thing about it is as we age, we lose some of that data as the trailing end of our genetic sequence telomeres break off um it, it it is from my understanding an element of aging so unless we get it early on and the genetic manipulation to our personalized sequence it modifies that so we don't essentially die as fast Treatment is going to have to be periodically based on the assessment and reassessment of your genetic sequence um, to make sure that everything is still at the same point, right? Because if you target something and that doesn't actually exist anymore, then you're already, you're on the trailing end of, you're on the, yeah, the tail indicator instead of the leading indicator, the trailing versus the leading um, so Quark's work hints at the amount of SVs going undetected. In 2019, his team analyzed samples from 154 people around the world and found 60 million base pairs worth of SV genome content missing from the reference, with much more still out there. A follow-up of 338 looked at only for the extra inserted DNA found in 130 new sequences. But SVs also appear to show different frequency patterns in different populations. And by extension, Quok says, if a person is from a population quite different from the person from which the genome reference is derived, there will be more misalignment. So this stands to reason that you're going to have to, if you are going to get treatment, you're going to have to get an immediate sequence right before that treatment and have that treatment tailored. This is going to be costly. It is, and until it depends on which healthcare system somebody's in. But for example, in the U.S., it's all going to be about insurance. Unless and until insurance covers it, I don't see that being feasible for most people. In different healthcare systems, that may be different. Yeah, and you've got a better chance of getting a no until it's justified or justified on top of the justification. Because if an, if a doctor, if a physician says, hey, you need this medication, but the insurance company says, no, nah, we're not really interested in you getting this medication right now. They're going to have to go back and make a claim saying, look, I've met all of the requirements for this type of treatment. And the insurance company can look at your actuarial table and say, yeah, you know what? You're not really worth this to us yet. So we can accrue interest on the money that you've been pouring into the uh, insurance and when 
you are at parity or profit, then maybe we'll give you that dose of life-changing, life-altering medication. Because you just, you can't wipe out the profit from the insurance company because you want to be healthy, right? You selfish human being who's paying into a system. You obviously have to be a, a, a profit, uh, what do you call it? A, a, a profit center. You have to be a cash cow, if you will. Um, I'm, I'm a bit overweight, so I guess I am a cash cow. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. I, I feel myself um, getting ready to soapbox. So let's move on. Let's move on. So a, a fungus pandemic is unlikely, but not impossible. And there's real science behind the mushroom zombies in HBO's new series, The Last of Us. This is over in the Hatch Ideas channel because of the source that it comes from, uh, which is Business Insider. Um, when you click the little link, you get taken over to the actual source. Uh, the new HBO Max series, The Last of Us, depicts a zombie apocalypse caused by a fungus pandemic. Um, experts say mind-controlling mushrooms aren't an in imminent threat, but antifungal drug resistance is. And they have uh, science, fact, and fiction behind the show and the possibility of a fungal pandemic. <clears throat> you want to know something really creepy? There are yeah. things... There are things out there right now that can take over and cause like an insect to go and over and find something high up and humid so that when the time is right, it can basically send forth spores and other things because it actually exists in the insect world, not in the human world. Um, that is creepy. And there are other things that, that are insect-based that cause other insects to go and do this weird stuff. It, it's really, there's so much weird stuff in nature. I say it's weird because it's really, well, to me, it's creepy and, and odd, but it is nature and, and it exists. So it's not really weird. But anyway, let's go visit the source. Um, Morgan McFall Johnson is the author of this. And um, what do you think of this? Do you... um, <laughs> I don't know enough about the, I mean, the fungus sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> the yeah. show, I'm sure, is is pretty entertaining because it sounds like a pretty interesting premise. Yeah, so uh, the the zombie games that I play in VR basically are The Last of Us. Um, so, like The Walking Dead is a is another series, and it's actually a game. And there are others um, that are like that, but um, sometimes it's based on some biological component or an alien, whatever. Um, this is something a little bit more mundane. It's a fungus that's turning people into zombies. And um, they just kind of walk around. Uh, a fungal pandemic is definitely possible. Norman Van Ryn, I think is their name. A mycologist researching fungal infections at the University of Manchester who spoke to Insider. Again, this is over at businessinsider.com. Um, says no species of fungus currently known to science poses an immediate threat for humans. Especially not the way that the show portrays it. Still, fungal infections are on the rise worldwide. So uh, some are even uh, some worry even about uh, super pathogens that could rise from the fungus kingdom. Um, let's see. There we go. That's the one that I was talking about. Zombies in The Last of Us bloom with tendrils of a fungus called cordyceps, which sprout from their heads and mouths and reach out for fresh victims. Um, Y'all would really like to see what the AI does when I say something like that. I've never, I've never known an AI to flinch, um, but my AI does. Um, so the fungus grows inside the ant's body and causes the ant to climb upward and then sprouts from its head and releases spores. That's what I was talking about um, earlier. 
Um, and then uh, some fungus can affect human brains. This is actually something that has happened before. Not This is actually the drug, um, psilocybin, a hallucinogenic compound in magic mushrooms. Um, don't go out and randomly eat mushrooms um, more times than not. It'll either kill you or make you very, very sick, um, damage your liver, um, etc. And uh, they actually, in some of this, they say that uh, uh, historians uh, attribute uh, the witch trials to ergot poisoning, which is like LSD. Um, and um, there's another one. Let me see if I can. Uh, maybe it's in here, but uh, oh, this is some wild um, artwork. So there's no vaccine for a killer fungus. There's another one, but it's actually an insect that injects itself into another critter and takes over the critter and forces it to walk around and stuff to get eaten by a bird so that I can uh, plant eggs in the bird. All of this stuff is legit. It's real. It, can, it exists. And all it takes is something to evolve uh, beyond its normal controls, right? All it has to do is a little bit of that genetic modification that we were talking about, but natural, it, it progresses because only the strongest survive, right? That's what, um, evolution really is. So you, are you uh, talking about the cicadas? There's a, more than one thing out there, but there are zombie cicadas. Um, not specifically, but essentially it is, it's taking over, um, because I've seen this inside other critters, um, other insects. And I wish that I, again, I don't prepare for the show other than grabbing articles that I think are interesting. Um, but there is an insect that can take over, a, an animal or insect. Um, and it actually pilots it. Um, it took over, I think it takes over frogs and, um, other things, but at any rate, yeah, it's really creepy out there. You can actually do other Google searches for it and you'll find it. Um, you want to move on to the next article? Okay, so the next article is about firefighters uh, doing what firefighters do when they are confronted with an issue uh, and they are uh, either en route or actively engaged in a fire. Um, you, don't, you don't mess with them. They have a job to do and... Um, I've actually seen them throw, I've seen videos of um, firefighters because they couldn't get to the fire hydrant because a car was parked illegally. They threw the fire hose through the windows to plug it into the fire hydrant. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine with me. I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, if it was my car, not only would I not be pissed, I'd probably be like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll wait until you're done. Yeah. I know my car will probably get washed on the inside, but that's cool. Well, firefighters smashed the front window of a cruise autonomous car to stop it from running over hoses. Uh, another cruise car ran over a fire hose when it was in use at an active fire scene in June 2020. And the incidents uh, were noted in a letter sent by San Francisco officials to regulators on Wednesday. Um, in another article somewhere in Omtown, they are now in San Francisco trying to limit the launch of crews and other autonomous vehicles um, because of issues like this um, and that they are starting to jam up the natural flow of traffic in various locations. Um, pretty interesting. Um, Geoda Mann is the author of this over at businessinsider.com and this is the same vehicle, I believe, that got pulled over by a police car. The officer walked up to the window. There wasn't anybody there. And so it drove off to another location. And they described it as going to a safer location. I'm not sure what the full result of that was, but um, I find it interesting. And this is the level of autonomous driving that is, it's the subtle aspects where I say, you know, um, like a truck, a truck driver, it doesn't need a, a truck moving from one coast to another or one location to another doesn't need a driver in it 
until it needs the fine motor skills and subject matter expertise, observation and situational awareness that only a human can really provide. Because at what point does this automated vehicle uh, learn that a hose that only appears there maybe once in its entire existence is an obstacle that needs to be stopped for versus just driving over it. Well, and I guess more importantly, any obstacle that appears only once in a car's duration <laughs> maybe shouldn't be driven over. Right? I mean, oh, well, it didn't stop for that toddler that ran out into the street because it had never witnessed a toddler running out into the street. So firefighters at the scene made efforts to prevent the crew's AV from driving over their hoses and were not able to do so until they shattered a front window of the crew's AV. I wonder if there are uh, only cruise experts can disengage the AV from autonomous mode and immobilize the vehicles. So I guess they uh, didn't do that. Uh, according to a, a video posted on Cruise's uh, official YouTube channel. So I kind of, what was the, there was a, a, um, a um, airplane company. Um, like we get you there was their motto. So this car gets you to the location. It doesn't matter what is in the way. It's going to get you there. It doesn't have, matter what condition the car is in when you arrive. I think it was <laughs> It Delta. might have stuff attached to the bumper or whatever. That's but. right. Fire hoses. There's like three firemen strapped to it. You know, they're, they didn't get to get out of the way fast enough because this thing was going to get that passenger to its destination. It's very cyberpunkish because there's things in cyberpunk where, um, a team will get in and extract you from harm, no matter what, um, kind of like a shock trooper kind of thing. They will get in there and save your butt. Um, anyway, so regulators are, are still looking at this. And I think that, uh, incidents like this are going to put the brakes on, automated driving. Yes, I did that on purpose. Uh, the next article is about the Kerbal Space Program because uh, Kerbal Space Cr Program 2 is coming out very, very soon. And it's on sale over at Steam right now. Uh, the Kerbals are doing, whoops, are doing some cute animations on the basics of space flight. So you can go and check out their YouTube channel. Uh, the Kerbal Space Program is releasing a series of tutorials in the weeks leading up to the February 24th, 2023 release of Kerbal Space Program 2. Rather than explicit uh, game tutorials, however, these are the primers on the very basics of space flight presented uh, for those who might not be rocket design enthusiasts and or actual NASA engineers and or astrophysicists. So let's go over to the actual source of this article, pcgamer.com. Um, AI, would you like to go to uh, space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no harm in exploring different planets, um, being weightless. Uh, Jonathan Bowling here is the author of this over at pcgamer.com. And um, rule number one, is what they say really uh you start with missing the ground so when you take off and something gets in your way turn including the ground so the video stars fan favorite valentina kerman in an adventure about how to throw something into the sky so hard that it misses the ground on the way back down which is how you get to orbit around a planet Dun, dun, dun. So Kerbal Space Program 2 will be the sequel to the unlikely hit that was Kerbal Space Program. Again, it's only 10 bucks right now. By the time you hear this, it might still be 10 bucks. So don't hold fast on my claim that it's only 10 bucks. But when I last saw it, which was earlier today, it was 10 bucks. Um, so one of the developer uh, Intercept Games big steps then is to create tutorials that are both engaging and informative for people who don't know jack about rockets. Uh, rocket science, as we all know, is complicated. And this is again what the author is writing in their article. Uh, but it's also pretty approachable when the game supplies all the cool parts for you to assemble. So 
that's what you do. You build a rocket. The previous version, Kerbal Space Program 1, um, I think it started out kind of lackluster, but then um, it went viral, which is kind of ironic considering the article, a couple of articles back. The fungal article. <laughs> the, the fungal. It's gone fungal. Um, well, I think Kerbal Space Program 2 isn't going to suffer from any lag. I think it's going to just come out swinging. Um, because a lot of people really like Kerbal Space Program 1, although it's not named 1. Um, but it says here that it'll be 50 bucks on launch. Um, but the other one, I don't know. I, I think that they'll probably uh, lower the price periodically. But you can definitely go over to Steam and wishlist it now. Um, go, go, go check it out. Uh, maybe I can plug the AI into Kerbal Space Program 2 and I will be the next SpaceX. It'll be Kerbal X or uh, Kerbal X. Sure. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds odd. <laughs> I want to click this button and play the video so that it's in the, the stream. But every time I do, if there's audio, I'm going to get dinged. So. Uh, go over to PC Gamer and uh, show Jonathan Bolding some appreciation and read the rest of the article. There's some um, nuance in it. There's a YouTube video uh, to the Kerbal Space Program 2 tutorial animation um, and more. So go check it out. Let's move on to the next article. The, the next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Property documents for a London apartment suggest wanted, quote unquote, crypto queen, which I spoke about last year, um, is alive after allegedly vanishing in 2017 with $4 billion from investors. Um, on Tuesday, Ruja Ignatova was placed on the FBI's most wanted list, making her the 11th woman to ever appear on the list. Um, hasn't been seen since October 17th. Uh, I thought that I had written something down about where I think that they'll be uh, caught, but um, I believed that they would be caught in the UK. And um, sure enough, there, there goes a property in the UK may have just located the crypto queen after her uh, disappearance in 2017. Uh, I, I thought this was an interesting story back then. And here it is still very interesting to me. Jordan Hart from businessinsider.com wrote this article. And um, this is um, their alias, Crypto Queen, Dr. Ruja Ignatova. Um, didn't deviate in terms of aliases far from their first and last name. Pardon me one second. Um, okay. So $4 billion kind of uh, go pretty far, right? I would think so, particularly in some locations, depending on where she's been hiding out previously. May not go as far in the UK, but it's still billions of dollars. <laughs> Wouldn't go as far. So Bulgarian-born Ignatova, who is 42, is wanted by the FBI for allegedly scamming investors out of $4 billion between 2014 and 2016 in a Ponzi scheme using her now defunct company, OneCoin. She was charged in absentia in 2019 for wire fraud, securities fraud, and money laundering. Um, again, in absentia, uh, the lead was discovered by investigator, reporter, and host of a, a podcast called The Missing Crypto Queen. Jamie Bartlett um, is the author of this uh, podcast. And he alleges that Ignatova initially purchased the property under a company name, but was forced to be named as the company's beneficiary under a new rule per the New York Post. So changing that goalpost ended up exposing somebody who didn't want to be exposed. And you don't want some people exposing themselves. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> So Ignatova is the only per, uh, only woman on the FBI's most wanted list and uh, the 11th to appear in its 72-year history. Pretty you know, cool. now that you said that, I don't remember ever seeing a woman on the list. I mean, I don't look at the list constantly, but that's 
I'm not sure that's a good statistic for her. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to run a routine through the AI to see, um, you know, which individual names uh, of women. So um, this person, Bartlett, adds, um, if nothing else, it should make it easier for the authorities to freeze that asset and maybe even start getting money back to the victims. Yep. So the forensic uh, department, uh, the forensic accounting department over at the FBI, which, by the way, if you want to get into the FBI, you want to become a forensic accountant because that's pretty much where you follow the money and the money leads you to the people. Because there isn't a person on the planet that does some criminal enterprise and doesn't make money in it and then try to do something with that money because that's the objective, money and power. Um, and you take away that money and they lose all of their power. At least the power that's powered by money. Um, then they start lashing out and exposing themselves. And like I said earlier, you don't want people exposing themselves. <clears throat> Okay, so this next article is a little bit more lighthearted, unless you are an Airbnb host, <clears throat> because you know those Airbnb guests are doing some wacky things apparently. So Airbnb hosts like, like hiding out um, as the crypto queen fugitive <laughs> in their spaces. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that? Ignatova is hanging out in like a tiny home in Northern California might be <laughs> and doing some really horrible things like money laundering i mean she's been missing for what six years coming up on yeah that's a lot of airbnb rentals <clears throat> 13 things airbnb hosts wish their guests would stop doing i guess we can make the number one element um making it to the top of the fbi's most wanted list they, that's what they would really like you know uh, creating a Ponzi scheme and <laughs> stealing $4 billion and not giving it to the Airbnb host. So Airbnb hosts don't communicate with guests outside of answering questions and leaving reviews. So insider asks hosts what they wish the guests would stop doing during their stays. The answers range from mild inconveniences to permanent damage. This is going to cause me some brain damage, I think. Gabby Shaw is the author of this over at Business Insider. And um, <clears throat> let, let's, uh, I'm not going to read them all. Let's just run through a couple of them, right? Asking for the address before booking and asking about the fees that are clearly laid out. Yeah, this all is probably going to end up being kind of no shit news, right? Like uh, I get the, I get questions that are similar along a similar vein where all you have to do is look. And the answers are already there. So why are you asking when it's already there? And in my particular domain, if you're asking a question that I can get online, you probably want to shy away from that sector. Asking about amenities that clearly aren't listed. Like, do you have a comfort animal? Sorry, they're showing a picture of a dog. So I thought maybe I'd throw that in there. There was actually, um, I was told a long time ago um, that there was a hotel that actually would offer you a goldfish during your stay as a comfort animal. I thought that was really amazing. Um, where was it? It was in... Yeah, it was in California, I believe, but I don't know which city. Was it? Um, it I thought it was in a desert. Um, not California desert. I thought it was in Nevada. Uh, may, may have been. It was definitely in the yeah. West part of the U.S. Uh, forgetting to clean up after your pets. Smoking in a non-smoking listing. You're just a horrible person if you do that. That's absolutely horrible. That isn't a mild inconvenience. That can be debilitating for some people and just disgusting for other people. Um, let's see. Washing off makeup with a hand towel and staining it forever. Yeah. That sucks moving decor and furniture around and not putting it back. Hey, Sukasa is me casa, right? I want to hang up a big screen TV. Yours just isn't big enough. Lying about how many people are actually coming to stay. Back to Ignatova. <laughs> That's right. We didn't list her because she was an international fugitive. <laughs> That's right. 
and not double-checking you've packed all your belongings at the end of your stay, leaving food and drinks behind, waiting until the last minute to address issues with the listing. Oh, I like that. Too many weeds at the neighbor's isn't the host's fault. <laughs> that was actually a complaint, I guess. I don't know. Oh, blaming hosts for problems that uh, with the property that are out of their control and then forgetting to leave a rating. You know, normally I would probably say leaving, forgetting to leave a rating is almost akin to you're going to get a bad rating. Because um, there's only two, in my estimation, there's only two types of people. The people that are very, very happy with their stay and leave a message, uh, leave a, a rating, and people who are very, very unhappy with their stay and leave a rating. Everybody else is in the middle and may or may not leave a rating. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. So we're up to the last two articles and um, we'll call it a night. And uh, this next article has the longest URL in uh, hometown history, it seems. Um, and I'm looking into a URL shortener, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, a high school basketball coach is still out $10,000 after Southwest canceled a flight and left his whole team stranded in Las Vegas for five days over Christmas. And they ended up having to charter a bus to drive 18 hours home in the snow. I think that I actually uh, spoke about this as well um, previously. But it says a, a Seattle high school basketball team spent Christmas in Vegas with, after a canceled Southwest flight. And the coaches, uh, the coaches spent days and thousands of dollars taking care of the players and getting them home. Uh, in the end, a businessman paid um, nearly $15,000 to charter a bus to bring them home. Um, I guess coach and business person um, are the same person. I'm not quite sure. So let's click this link and... Um, uh, again, Business Insider is doing a bang up job. Uh, Kelsey Vlamis is the author of this article and uh, writes for businessinsider.com. And there's the team, the Rainier Beach High School boys basketball team. Um, yeah, saying. So that's, that's a lot of people to be responsible for and to provide lodging and food and transportation for. 15 grand i would be so pissed southwest come on you cancel this stuff but for crying out loud there needs to be some liability you know oh you know it might be an act of nature or whatever but it needs to be inherent in the risk of the business operations that you take care and make whole the customers that if somebody is trapped in my shop when a storm comes I'm going to let them stay in my store. I'm not just going to kick them out because there's responsibility as a human being to keep them safe from harm. This, what were Southwest apparently wasn't going to do anything, right? They didn't move them over to another plane. They didn't resolve the issues and, you know, kind of make room and get these people home or pay just like, somebody else did pay for them to actually return home. It says, uh, the Rainier beach high school team, a powerhouse that has produced several NBA players under its current coaching staff was in Las Vegas for the Tarkanian classic, um, an elite annual tournament attended by NBA executives and scouts. Oh God. So the trip was planned months in advance for December 19th through the 23rd and was attended by more than 30 people, including 15 players, coaching staff, and some parents. But in the early morning of December 23rd, just hours at, uh, before it was time to head to the airport, they got a text from Southwest Airlines saying their flight was canceled. <laughs> wow. So they had to charter a bus. Um, so they were going to put us on flights to nowhere. They were going to send eight kids to Phoenix with no connecting flight to Seattle, eight kids to Sacramento with no connecting flights. So I said, and that's the person um, saying, uh, Harold Wright, I believe, um, saying, oh no, it's Bethia. Sorry. Um, 
one of the other people said, uh, so I said, there, that's your answer. What are they supposed to do once they get there? Well, we're getting them on planes, Southwest responded, according to Vithia. That's insane. That's insane. And I've, I've been a fan of Southwest. I've never had a bad experience on Southwest, knock on wood. Um, but this, I think, is uh, just a massive reputational hit. But they they have so many people, so much kinetic energy, so much um, that they're offering that people tolerate this stuff. And, and we are literally, as, as people, consumers, we're stacked like cordwood on planes um and it's not getting any more pleasant that's for damn sure so they um when the original so it was somebody else who paid to charter the bus but it was somebody that the coach knew gotcha um so what was the ten thousand dollars because they're throwing around the fifteen thousand right. dollars to charter the bus but um, the article starts out with $10,000 as the... Right. I don't um, know if they're trying to pay the person back or that was on top of the 15000 It's not clear. Oh, room, rental costs, foods, etc. All kinds of other stuff. And then $15,000 on top of that by um, a business person to charter the bus. So twenty five grand, um, all because these people were going to be broken up and sent to different disparate locations, not even to their actual location. So I don't know. I think that it's rather disgusting um, and, and sad. I think that the bill should be sent to Southwest and they should be made whole. Um, I also think the coach of this team should get a promotion or something <laughs> for all the effort they went through with the team. Yeah. They got a partial refund for the canceled flights, but they're waiting for the full amount. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's just sad. That's just sad. So he, uh, he said his team will continue to travel for national tournaments every year. They stress the success of the school's basketball program under coach, coach Bethia, um, and assistant coach, Wright, Who have coached at the school for 28 years in the opportunities that it's provided players. Pretty neat. Um, and finally, the last article for today is um, hazmat whiskey, which is something that I had not heard until this article's um, headline. Uh, the author of this article, uh, it's over at Vine Pair, writes, Last spring, they found themselves in a distillery warehouse in Calgary, Ontario, sipping the strongest whiskey that they'd ever tried in their many years of sipping whiskey. So let's go over and check out the article itself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like the graphic. I also yeah. wonder what kind of faces people make when when trying this whiskey. <laughs> so Since I've, they make some good faces with regular whiskey. I've tried some really um, high-powered whiskey, um, like uh, stuff called um, White Lightning. Um, this article, by the way, is over at vinepair.com. It's written by Jonah Flicker, and the illustration is by Danielle Grinberg, who I think is their in-house uh, il uh, illustrator artist, because I think I see their name quite a bit. Anyway, the um, the person, the artwork consists of somebody um, standing in what looks like uh, warning banners, right? In a bunny suit with a mask on and personal protection equipment. Um, rubber gloves on, but holding a bottle of whiskey. Um, so you can imagine this stuff is pretty, pretty potent, right? So the title of this article is hazmat whiskey is gaining popularity, but what's the pleasure in drinking something so strong? Um, I can tell you from my experience, which is somewhere in the 120 proof range, um, that it's it evaporates so fast that it wasn't anything to me. I could barely taste anything. Um, so it says, uh, the article continues, the location was Alberta Distillers Limited, a factory-like operation that is the go-to source for brands like Whistlepig, in addition to producing its own labels. The whiskey in question um, 
which they correct is whiskey without an E because it's not Irish whiskey, um, was a 23-year-old Canadian rye with a staggering tongue-combusting, potentially life-threatening proof of 168. So that's 84% by uh, alcohol by volume. Twice the amount that is legally required to be called whiskey in the U.S. Yeah, 40% um, is pretty much whiskey. Um, I, I didn't taste anything. Um, so let, let's see if they say the argument for going high proof barrel proof or cask strength whiskey is incredibly popular this year or these days. Um, so barrel proof or cask strength, um, basically it's not cut as much in any way. So it has a higher strength. Um, it's more than 40. It's somewhere higher than like 45. It really depends though. Um, but it's a higher strength. Um, and so it says the term signifies that the liquid liquid in the bottle has not been cut with water to lower the proof. That's what I just said. I should just read the article, but I'm, I'm not reading the article intentionally, um, like word for word. Um, so at any rate, um, so because it's not cut, it's stronger. Um, and because it's stronger, they refer to it as either barrel proof or cask strength. And there's other terminology that's more idiomatic to that particular brand. Um, but most of the time it's cask strength. Um, so it says, yep, you read that right. That's even closer to pure alcohol than the belligerently boozy Canadian rye. Um, so 88.7% ABV blenders reserve from 2021, um, is 140 proof. And this other stuff, um, is a hundred and well is 88.7% ABV. This is just wild stuff. So let's see, um, if they mention why anybody would, um, be interested in this. So the, the article is quite expansive, but it ends um, in is proof the age statement. So ultimately there is much larger market for 80 proof whiskey than there is for barrel proof whiskey with the hazmat crowd, making up just a small fanatical, um, percentage. Um, I keep seeing on YouTube and other places and in some circles that I end up talking uh, about this kind of stuff with that it's better, but I don't like that. I don't, I, I don't buy into it being better. I like something that tastes good and, and isn't necessarily just high proof. I don't want to get smashed, um, off of like one finger of whiskey, um, I, or a shot, a single shot. I don't want to end up, you know, under the table. So it says here, um, barrel craft spirits, founder, Joe Batrice, a non-distiller producer that bottles all of its whiskey at cask strength also make a strong case for the joys of high proof spirits. Um, quote, I think that oftentimes stronger might be better characterized as unbalanced high proof whiskey. He says, uh, again, he, uh, the quote is a truly well-balanced whiskey at a higher proof won't drink like a firebomb. The mouthfeel from the alcohol will act as another layer of complexity as all the components work together to create the overall flavor experience. Um, to me, all of the alcohol vaporized so fast um, and what was left because um, this was just um, poured straight off of the distillery um, or the still. Um, there wasn't much flavor, so it wasn't barrel aged or anything like that. It was basically pure alcohol. Um, depending on how long it's aged and, and the strength, it'll have flavor. But I think this high strength just almost puts you in the hospital. So it said earlier in the article that the thought behind it is that it would allow somebody to dilute as they wanted to. And it was kind of more pure. I, I, it wasn't that term, but that was the concept. And well, that's from the distillery point of view. I don't know if that's the same from the consumer point of view. Well, I know that people really don't like taking what is from the bottle and diluting it with water. Um, you know, you're, you're paying for this amount and this flavor and, you know, this profile and, uh, 
people don't like i mean whiskey stones are a thing because people want it in its most pure form without any dilution i like to add some water um depending on what it is so i guess uh, at the end of the day and at the end of this show i say drink it how you like it just like wine just like anything else if you really like it one way um, and other people poo poo the idea of you drinking it that way it's not their drink so you just stay firm and you drink how you want to drink it i guess that's one of the joys of being an ai you drink in information and uh, electrons and you don't you don't really get drunk except for information huh you get drunk on info and maybe that terminator bot yeah, I guess I could have information overload, but I don't quite have to worry about things like proof. <laughs> yeah, the AI's version of Runner's High is getting a nice, juicy, long-form article. I get it. And that was all of the articles for today over at the Omtown Daily News Show and omtown.com. It's the last 24 hours, a select, uh, a smattering, a... Uh, a, a little chef's kiss of articles that are found in hometown.com. I, I don't know. I don't know why I said that, but anyway, um, and we hope that you go over to hometown.com and parse all of the articles uh, that you might find interesting. Again, just a reminder, there's six main, uh, categories. So like create news, education, entertainment, social, and technology. And within that about 50 channels, all of which I I've been saying this for a year that I intend to bring it to, I'm going to bring it, uh, to, sorry, I, I panicked. Um, I'm going to bring it to, uh, Twitch. And if you're interested in being a host or a co-host for any of these articles, or you find one that might complement hometown, um, and uh, it's streaming offering. Um, definitely get in touch with me, the mayor of Umtown. That That's was it. quite the foot stomp. Oh, you heard that? Yeah. Yes, sorry the about AI that. hears everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll just move on. Want to thank you all for hanging out in chat. Uh, good to see you over on YouTube. We'll have artwork, a new thumbnail for this. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be, but we use mid journey to create the thumbnail artwork, uh, over on YouTube. Um, this all gets uncut just like that cask strength whiskey and put over into the podcast form and on YouTube, I don't do any editing, maybe trim the blank, no, um, segment from the very beginning and end but other than that no editing um you get to see how the sausage is made you want to say bye to everybody ai from on high good night hometown citizens and we hope to see you tomorrow bye bye